Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1391, entitled Moonatics. <laughs> Our podcast title today is Moon Pod. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Welcome back, Megan. Yes, happy to be back. And there's so much genre stuff happening. I've been like, oh, I just want to discuss all these things. So I'm very happy to be back. And first show off the bat talking about Moon Knight, much anticipated uh, new Marvel Disney show. Funny you should say bat because Moon Knight actually is a little bit of a Batman clone in some respects. And you know what? I actually have not been able to muster the interest to go off to see the new Batman movie yet. I know, Um, I know. Uh, it's but I'm having a lot, I more, have, lot more fun watching Moon Knight. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I have seen the new Batman, and I feel like, Rob, that's one you can wait for and we can discuss at a later time. I don't think there's any anything pressing to get you along. Let's just say that. So I have permission. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yep, today we're pretty much going to be discussing the new Disney Plus series Moon Knight. Mm. And there's a lot to talk about and a lot of music to play too. So I'm going to lead off with a little bit of discussion about the music. Mostly in the show, you split between original compositions for the show and also, uh, well, you know, they're using music from various popular sources. And the main theme is composed by Hesham Nazi and he is an Egyptian Arabic composer, musician, and also an actor too. bit of everything. And he's based in uh, in Cairo, and he's done a lot of scores for TV shows and Egyptian theme, uh, Egyptian features. And that's like uh, The Blue Elephant, uh, Tito, and Born a King. And in 2021, he did the soundtrack for the Pharaoh's Golden Parade, which sounds mm-hmm. so remarkable, but really it was just about moving house. <laughs> right. But from fancy house to fancy house, no doubt. Well, it was in, in Cairo, and uh, what they did is they moved 22 mummies belonging to the pharaohs, and they went from the Egyptian Museum in Tahrir Square to mm. the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization in Fustat. So they paraded them and they thought, we'll make a big occasion for it. So they commissioned a soundtrack for that. And, and it's wonderful. Have a look on, on, on YouTube, for example, just to see this an immense pomp and ceremony of 22 dead <laughs> nobles being moved across. You know, I mean, really, you could have just waited for somebody to open the book and read an incantation and they could have walked. Exactly. Job done. <laughs> Catch a bus, you know. Get there yourself, mate. And anyway, here we have the Pharaoh's Golden Parade. This is Matthew Riley, creator of the Scarecrow and Jack West Jr. series, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM. I thought that Matthew Riley speaking there would be appropriate, considering how many of his 
Amazing novels deal with traps in ancient temples and so on. No trap there, just a bit of trapping around, which was the Golden Pharaohs parade going through Cairo when they moved 22 mummies across the city. Mm. Hesham, Nazi and Amira Salim there from an album titled that. And it's basically just one big long track because it takes them a while to move along. They're, you know, they're a bit old, so a bit shuffly and, you know, zombie sort of stuff going on. And, yeah. and sometimes, yeah. you know, little dogs come out and grab the end of their wrappings and unravel them and, you know, all that sort of funny stuff that happens. <laughs> the usual. The usual. <laughs> and why do we play that track? Well, because Hasham Nazi is the composer for the new Disney Plus series Moon Knight, mm. which we are discussing here today on Zero G. So, yes, we are going to cover Moon Knight. It is on Disney+. Plus. It's a six-episode series. And now there's been a bit of – I'm not too sure about whether it's an ongoing series. It's been described as a limited series because, as we know, WandaVision is a limited series. It was meant to be Wanda's side story and then feed into the more of the Phase 4 movies in the MCU. So I think Moon Knight might be similar. That's kind of the, the whisperings that we've been hearing. So six episodes – each is around 45 to 50 minutes, so quite a chunky episode there. Five are available now, and uh, so we've got one left that we're all waiting for. It's the sixth Marvel TV show in this suite of TV shows of this Kevin Feige phase, you know, Loki, WandaVision, etc. cetera. Uh, and as I mentioned, all available on Disney Plus and uh, the episodes are dropping weekly. But as I mentioned, you can probably catch up with most of them now because we're almost at the end of its run. Now, executive producer and head writer is Jeremy Slater. He's worked on a bit of genre before. He's been involved in the Umbrella Academy and the Exorcist TV series, which is based on the book slash movie. And we've also got Mohamed Diab, who is a director of four of the episodes, and he's kind of head of the little team of directors, which is also made up of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who do two episodes. They co-direct two episodes, while Diab does the four other episodes. And I think you can see Diab directs the first episode, and it really sets up tonally some of the important kind of concepts and ideas around what Moon Knight is about and what the character slash characters are and kind of the the different um, ways everything's going to interact. I think there's a lot of good stylistic stuff that helps set up the story. And I didn't really know that we it had such a strong influence of kind of Egyptian mythology. Um, and I think importantly, and as we've kind of noticed with what you mentioned, Rob, with the um, composer, Diab is Egyptian. And I think this is another example of getting fantastic creators involved in a series, but ones who have the background and lived experience to be able to authentically deal with this kind of subject matter that's, you know, culturally rich and about some very specific um, regions of the world. So he's sort of mentioned before that he's found in uh, kind of Western films and so on, you know, we're prone to a lot of stereotypes around um, Egyptian people, Egyptian mythology and so on, and that things it's either just all desert or it's kind of very overdone. And he kind of just wanted to be like, we're people, we have cities just like any other, we have a rich history, can we just kind of stop this weird American view of what Egypt is um, and so on. And he's also been key in bringing on other Egyptian crew and cut and things like that. So I think that that's important to point out. And there is a lot and of desert in this movie. In the, there is a lot of there desert is. in this series anyway. 
<laughs> there is, there is. And, I mean, yeah, we start off, even though we start off in London, sand is kind of a bit of a big theme right right off the bat as well. Um, and Moon Knight is starting to turn more down a darker path in terms of the tone of the series that we've seen so far. So it's they definitely set out to have a darker tone in this one. And while there is definitely comedic elements, it's certainly a little bit more rough and tumble and deals with some kind of heavy themes as well in terms of um, mental illness and so on. But I think they've tried to take a bit of care with that portrayal as well. But it's, a, it's an, again, as we've said, all the series we've seen so far have a different pitch and a different tone, and this is no exception. It's kind of coming in, doing its own unique view. So... That's kind of a rough overview. Uh, do we want to talk a bit about the plot and characters or do we want to delve into a bit of Moon Knight history before we do that? Well, yeah, let's have a look at the history. And because this is a show about history, it's also yes. a show about the history of Moon Knight as a, as a comic book creation too. Because, of course, this is something that was originally based upon Marvel comic books from the uh, the 1970s too. So I'm not um, going back as far as the, the sort of other layer of 1960s or even further back to World War II for like Captain America and so on. So we're not going quite that far back. So mm. in a sense, Moon Knight knows, owes a lot to Batman. Mm. You know, um, if you've seen any of the images of Moon Knight, you'll know he's like, he's got a cloak, he's got a, a, a mask over his face. It's got a very sort of Egyptian mummy sort of thing going on in the aesthetics as well with lots of wrappings and, and, and layers. and Yes, and the colouring of the wrappings and things definitely evoking that. Yeah, yeah. only he is in white rather than, than in black. Uh, he has uh, throwing knives that are like crescent moons sort of thing mm. because his whole branding <laughs> yeah. is instead of bats, it's the lunar cult. Mm. And mm. he has that because... He is an avatar of the Egyptian god Khonshu, mm -hmm. the lunar god. So yeah. basically he's possessed. Yeah, and has received certain uh, protections and powers as he, a result of his relationship with Khonshu. Mm. Now when we say he, we're actually talking about a couple of different people, So, or at least identities. Uh, mm. Stephen Grant who works in a gift shop in the British Museum. Yes. <laughs> and also Mark Spector, who doesn't work in a gift shop and is, in fact, a former Marine and mm. has a lot of skills in those sort of fighty, punchy, <laughs> yeah. kicky sort of yeah. areas. So what I'm curious is, so, yeah, we have the two, Stephen at the gift shop and then Mark, the mercenary, but that's quite different to the comic portrayal. Is that that's kind of the vibe I've gotten? Is that they've taken they've made a few differences in the Moon Knight on the page, um, on its journey to the screen. Yes, well, is that fair to say? It is because one of the um, the characters that Conchu is possessing in the comic books is rich. So mm. we have got the whole Playboy billionaire Batman type thing going on there. No sign of that yet, though. I do think that there is another personality there in the background, I think. But um, I don't know if they're going to go into that, considering how far I am into the series. I don't think that that's going to be an, an issue. Yeah, I don't think they will, because from what I've kind of read is, and when, you know, we've talked a bit about this before in the lead up to 
watching the series when it was being teased. And I remember you saying, yeah, it was kind of the answer to Batman and there's a lot of similarities. But watching the show, I didn't really see any similarities to Batman at all and I wouldn't have drawn a line between the two. So I imagine, and I think from what I've read, that's been a specific decision is they want a D Batman <laughs> Moon Knight for this. And so I would imagine if they, they're not going to introduce any of that more Batman-y stuff and try and do their own thing. The thematic content is still there, which is to say, mm-hmm. what if Batman was suffering from, <laughs> which he actually does seem to most of the time, <laughs> uh, suffering a dissociative identity disorder, mm. DID. Yeah. So the... Characters who are inhabiting this avatar, Moon Knight, definitely are, mm. are yes. challenged by that. And so, Big theme and, yeah, that's the key thing that's been brought over. And it is not schizophrenia. No. Although I actually want to hear the um, the doctors on Triple R have a go at that. At, yeah. Explaining this. I think in the old vernacular, which has been retired, it would have been called split personality disorder. Mm. Um, and now the correct terminology is dissociative pers- dissociative identity disorder. Uh, and, of course, we've seen a lot of portrayals of that in film and TV that's been very sensationalised and utterly kind of incorrect and a bit um, fanciful, should we say. So I think their perspective on this is trying to make it, and I think they've tried to take care to do a more sensitive depiction. United States of Tara. Mm, yeah. And there's also Orphan Black with Tatiana Maslany in it, in the split personality stakes of television shows. And there was, there's also, I mean, I shouldn't say because it's kind of a spoiler, but there's, there was a movie with John Cusack and also like Split, that Shyamalan Malan one. Um, but, yes, I think this is actually trying to be like, cool, what if this was the premise, this person had this disorder, how would that manifest in addition to this whole like powers running around trying to complete these missions and what would that actually look like? And, I mean, the answer is it looks pretty awful because Oscar Isaac really sells it as something that would be a massive struggle and utterly very difficult to manage. Mm. And there are some comedic – there are a lot of comedic possibilities in in that and he brings it out completely, I think. Yeah. But Moon Knight, well, basically goes back to 1975. It was created by writer Doug Munch and artist Don Perlin. And it didn't actually appear in a comic book called Moon Knight for some time. Uh, he mm-hmm. first popped up in Werewolf by Night, <laughs> which is a, a completely different other one. But, you know, I mean, these the, uh, the, the creatures of the night do unite, so they got all that running <laughs> in there. So he is essentially Mark Spector and Stephen Grant, uh, uh, the fist of the god Khonshu, essentially. That is the storyline that we're going with here. And... Of course, they will have some opposition. I mean, it wouldn't be much of a series if they didn't. But let's no. let's go with the uh, the theme, main title theme for the show. Yes, get us in the mood. Hmm. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. Yeah, getting out there with the other Dark Knight detective. Well, at least he's a vigilante and he does travel out at night, but it's not a dark night because it's moon night. <laughs> yes. What a great theme. I think it's it definitely captures. I mean, if I was to encapsulate the energy of this series, it's definitely heavy on the Egyptian mythology. It's definitely got archaeological bent. It's kind of like an Indiana Jonesy 
uh, crossed with Tomb Raider, like a yeah, no, for sure, absolutely, and with a bit of um, yeah, inner turmoil to boot. <laughs> Thus far, we haven't finished the series yet, so who knows what else is in store um, Hasham, for us as viewers. Hasham Nazi with the Moon Knight theme there, which is so far the only bit of music from the actual show that isn't uh, that I've seen that it, that isn't one of a, sort of a pop culture um, hit. Mm. But I know that they'll be putting out at least two albums off the back of it because that's the way that, mm-hmm. that's the way that they roll. All right, so we've been we've talked about the kind of setup for it. Uh, Stephen Knight, played by Oscar Isaacs, is the gift shop <laughs> wannabe tour guide guy from the British Museum with a with an, an evil boss called Donna. <laughs> he sells that so well. He's like he's a bit sad and sorry. He's definitely dyed in the wool geek, which we love, but he's also just a bit. He's a bit hopeless yeah. um, and you just can't help but feel for him straight off the bat and then that just in, in, you keep, you know, that feeling grows. <laughs> and to be fair, his disassociative identity disorder causes him so many problems that it's a wonder he's not far worse, really, when you think about it. Yeah, and yeah. He, I mean, he's got his own ways of trying to manage things, but, I mean, he also doesn't quite realise what's going on as well. I think no. Um, at the start of the series, I mean, and it's not a secret that he has this disorder. This is the whole premise of the character. But at the start, it's really about him really discovering exactly what is going on inside him. And the poor guy just is getting along as best as he can under these circumstances which you would be so baffled <laughs> as to what's going on. Like as as in the uh, the werewolf by night story in a way, because werewolves, you know, they have chain themselves up and lock themselves in basements every full moon, that sort of thing. If they're if mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. if they're nice werewolves, you know, if they're not yeah. they, if they're not, they just don't give a damn. They just go out and chew on people. Um, exactly. They're in Oz. <laughs> yeah. But his his thing is that he he ties himself up each night, chains himself to his bed and Mm. And yet somehow always ends up not being there or in the morning. So he has problems with that. And it's not just because he has another personality. I mean, he has that. The other personality is a superhero. Yes. And, <laughs> so, and it, yes, it's not like it's, you know, gift shop worker and then office worker and they're sharing a body and they just kind of do their everyday things. It's like one of them's a mercenary who's going out doing some quite high impact you know, fighting and yeah. adventuring and running around. Yeah. All right. Now, I think that uh, where we are at, we can get into the characters right now, I think. Yes, perfect. Yeah, so I guess we've introduced um, that we've got kind of a couple of personalities and characters at play at the forefront. So first up up front, we need to talk about Oscar Isaac, who does star as Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant slash both of their alter ego avatar fighting personalities, their night forms. So I think Oscar Isaac, uh, he's someone who I think people don't know they know necessarily and then they realize exactly how much they've seen him in so he's of course we've seen him very recently in june he plays um duke leto atreides and we've also seen him sammy recently in the star wars trilogy where he played poe dameron so he's in the fourth force awakens last jedi and the rise of skywalker 
But, I mean, you start really pulling on the thread of his filmography and you realise you've seen him in a lot of fantastic stuff. And as I was saying to you, Rob, that he's in three of my all-time favourite films, Ex Machina and Annihilation, which are, to be fair, both directed by Alex Garland, and also Drive, and Drive is sort of semi-early on in his career. We've also seen him as Apocalypse in X-Men Apocalypse. That's kind of more of a blip on the old resume. (laughs) Um, and he's also starred in a lot of kind of drama, epics, and heavy kind of character pieces as well. And he was in Inside Llewellyn Davis, the Coen Brothers film as well, which is another mm. another fave. So he's got singing chops and he's definitely got acting chops and, you know, the range. I mean, he does often play uh, a kind of put-upon, moody, but stoic and strong man. This is kind of his theme, you know, whether it's, you know, he's an emotionally unavailable soldier or he's like a duke just trying to make the best of it on Arrakis. But I would say we do, he really gets to flex his range in Moon Knight because Mm. not only is he playing bumbling Stephen, he's playing the cool, calm and collected Mark. And then he's also got to play comedy and he's interacting with actors as different in different ways and trying to have that different energy. And so, I mean, it's really quite masterful. I think he's he's a great, he was a great choice for it and they specifically liked him as well because I think in um the in the comics he he's sort of, I, I mean, it's not because they didn't cast him because he's, he's quite similar to the character in the comics. I think they wanted to do something a bit different in the TV show. I think he's, from what I can tell, enjoying the, the, the vast difference between playing Mark and playing Stephen and um, getting to do a bit of the action chops. What's your thoughts on Isaac's portrayal and stuff you've seen him in before? Well, it's quite brilliant, really, what he's doing with Moon Knight. And reportedly, he's able to turn on a dime between the characters. So that's... I'd expect nothing less. No, nothing nothing (laughs) less. He's not perfect. In fact, even his fake British accent is funny because we know Mm. that he's not really British. It's it's deliberately like that. And he's doing, that's on purpose. It's, he's, this is a choice he's making. And in the early, it's a great opportunity for comedy in the early episodes too, because, you know, you're a bit dragged down by this poor guy who just can't catch a break, but some of his Britishisms uh, also just bring a bit of lightness. So he's doing a fantastic job really carrying this thing. But we've also got a, a, quite a few and some familiar faces or voices, I should say. So we did mention Conchie before, so we'll mention him next as he's strongly oh, yeah. embedded in this character. Now, did you recognise the voice before you knew who played this character, Rob? Or No, no. It felt familiar, but I, I yeah. couldn't pin it, pin it down. Yeah, so it's F. Murray Abraham, and you and I, Rob, have loved him most recently in his appearance in Mythic Quest. Huzzah! Huzzah, uh, <laughs> exactly. So I wouldn't have picked it either, but I did know that it was him playing this. So he provides the voice of the god, and um, obviously there's some really lovely uh, effects for his sort of on-screen look but the voice is a big part of it and just brings this really great energy because he's got this fantastic booming voice so he um brings a lot of emotion and kind of you know he's always indignant about something and you kind of um you 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 like him even though you can tell he's be a pain in the butt and especially be a pain in the butt to be possessing you but you can't quite help it so I think um that's what I really, I really love. And also I should mention um, Kareem El-Hakim does provide um, sort of the on-set performance and um, 
Murray Abraham provides the voice. Mm. So that's a fantastic addition and really brings a bit of gravitas to the the whole energy. And then, of course, you did mention before we had a music break, uh, we need to have an antagonist for our multiple protagonists, and that's Arthur Harrow in this instance, who I believe is kind of a creation for this as they've leaned away from some of the Moon Knight comic villains and really created this character with Ethan Hawke, who plays plays Arthur Harrow. So Ethan Hawke um, has really come on and, and helped build the character. And he's sort of this cult leader vibe with kind of a vaguely sinister, like, for the greater good mentality, but you can tell it's this ruthless way that if you get in his way, you know, the greater good is going to be you <laughs> dying or like getting, you know, eviscerated in some. So just a quiet, sinister energy, but with this outward appearance of kind of like a, you know, a helping healing. It's like this weird mismatch. What about his introduction though? First introduction of the character is we see his feet as he puts breaks glass and then puts it into his sandals and then steps into them and grinds it in. So this influences your thoughts about this character all the time. He's just basically schlepping around in on broken glass. Uh, it's his, And he was indeed, and the whole cult leader thing is on purpose in that he's been informing his performance with um, David Koresh, who led the Branch Davidians cult. So he's looked to him for some hints. He's also looked to Fidel Castro for some hints, um, Dalai Lama, Leo Tolstoy. So he's got a lot of um, influences uh, in, in trying that he's pulled together to try to make this kind of, yeah, really interesting, sinister sort of of chap. Um, and I I enjoyed seeing Ethan Hawke in this because I've not really seen him do very much Ooh, I, genre stuff. I've liked him since Gattaca. <laughs> oh, the, the movie everyone always says is widely underrated, but everyone rates it so highly that it's actually not underrated at all. It's one of the great early sci-fis. That's a really great shout. And also I think that's where um, – he met Uma Thurman, mm. his now ex-wife. But. I've liked him since that, but I saw him originally way back in the 80s in Explorers where he's ah, yes. one of the kids. So, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, he's, he's certainly come on for this. But he's, he's not perfect for the, the crazed cult leader in this. Yeah, and he's committing. Like he's really committing to it. And I like that because he does a lot of character drama pieces and things like that. Um, and so I think it's kind of he's probably bringing some of that serious method energy you know, to infuse this character. You know, the funny thing is that he also did the voice of Bruce Wayne and Batman in an, an- did he? He had an animated, uh, upcoming animated series called Batwheels. <laughs> so I think, ah, so you're getting to do more than one aspect of this. Interesting. Multi, okay. Multi-god avatar. Yes, a harrowing performance, I believe, in this show. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't want to cross him in a dark alley. So we've also got, I should mention, you always need someone who's on your team and helping you out. So we've got another character who I think has been created for the series because they wanted to, again, really pay homage to the whole fact that we're doing an Egyptian story here and actually include some more Egyptian characters with Egyptian cultural heritage. So we've got May Kalamori. I'm sorry for that pronunciation. She's playing a character called Layla. Now she's an archaeologist. 
And she's also a little bit of a Lara Croft type, but she's obviously very switched on, loves a good adventure, very good at like rappelling into tombs and running around on her motorbike and saving people's skin. So she, um, I don't want to give too much away about her character, I suppose, but she comes along on the journey and has a big bit, you know, obviously there's the capital B backstory for her that we learn a little bit more about as the, the series goes on. But she, you know, we think, I think we need, Mark slash Stephen slash Moon Knight need uh, someone else, a physical body on their side. And so Layla does come along and does get kind of embroiled in this mystery as well, which we haven't really mentioned what the key propelling action is, but it's um, it's a a MacGuffin really. Well, this is exactly why we've not mentioned it, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. We're after a scarab compass that will point the way to – the tomb wherein imprisoned is the goddess Amit. Yes, and exactly. She is a terrible creature, really, who wants to prejudge all of humanity. And yeah. really, her purpose in the Egyptian pantheon is to is to be, you know, stand in judgment over people who've died. And that's mm. that's that's what it is, you know, Anubis. The jackal god will help her with all of that sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. she wants to take it too far. She wants to do it yes. before people have died, and in the process, probably kill most of them anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. fine in her place, but here, <laughs> here it gets a little out of control. So that's kind of the, the the kind of action that we're being propelled along the the cart that we're riding towards the conclusion. But basically, it's just a fantastic excuse to have some great visuals around like Egyptian mythology. Also, you know, go around Cairo, go into some tombs, have some creepy stuff happen, and get some real, especially episode four, some real Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, which I thought was. This is the thing. There's already been so much in this series because we start off in London and we learn more and then we gradually start adventuring and go on our journey. And then we're all of a sudden we're in this very Spielberg-esque kind of real adventurer energy, which I thought was a nice place that it was going. So I'm curious. I think we're probably going to have another shift where we shift again into something of a different type Mm. i don't want to give too much away but it seems like the series doing quite a lot with some different ideas different tones and we might be taking another left turn after yeah yeah this this is the thing it's it's a show as with loki it does surprise actually i suppose we expected loki to be a bit tricky just a bit (laughs) yes as is his want yes oh look i did want to mention um the rather sad passing of one of the actors who's in the show as well, um, Gaspard Uliel, who plays, mm. well, kind of a, a rich um, antiquities collector in who lives in Egypt, and he he's a he's he knows Layla from the past, so you know there's yes. a mixture in there, and he's really good as this antiquities collector, you know, a bit he's dodgy. Um, I mean, shirtless for no reason, almost just like swanning around, you know, sinister in this real like showy way, totally different to Ethan Hawke's. Um, uh, portrayal of Harrow. Mm. Yeah, very sad. I had not realised that actor had passed, but it was one of his final roles before um, he died in a skiing accident last year. Yeah, very sad. And, Moving um, into yeah. some of the other characters in the show, well, you know, this is this is a six-episode 
series. There's a lot of people in the background in this one, and you know, there's a few um, a few Easter eggs amongst the casting and so on. But they've really tried to lean into the well, the modern Egyptian aspect, as we've been talking about before. So there are quite a few actors who are indigenous to the country and we do spend yes. a fair bit of time time in Egypt especially in Cairo mm-hmm. and its surrounds and I, I wanted to just mention there one of the things about Cairo and this is one of the few shows that actually gives you the pyramids are just outside of the city yes they're not a, they're not a yeah. couple of days trek into the uncharted desert it's right there and the Nile River yeah. flows through Cairo too, you know, so it's like yeah. it's all here. And Cairo is a bustling modern city. It's not like a ye olde kind of, and I think this is a thing. It's I think having people from Egypt involved in this production, it's like, cool, how do we want to portray this? And we're not going to get caught up in this idea of what Egypt should look like on the screen. Mm. Um, this is what I was saying last week on the show about Triple R. It also goes for... Marvel at the moment, you know, there mm-hmm. some idiots worry about wokeness and all that sort of stuff. And they say, you know, and they usually say, look, I'm not sexist or I'm not racist, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is always a red flag. That's a, yeah, that's always a bad start. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, this is the thing infinite diversity in combinations, as they say on Star Trek. And this is the thing about mm-hmm. the show, it, it, it gives us more of a, an outreach to cultures that are not ours unless you happen to be fortunate yes. enough to have a background in uh, in Egypt. But that is a, a wonderful thing for the simple fact of it's so much fun to explore other cultures. I think learning a bit more about that mythology, which is very real, and the pyramids are very real, and just, you know, I mean, obviously this is a supernatural series, so there's a bunch of stuff in this that is not real. But um, even just having it set there and including some of that stuff is is very interesting because the myths that they're including in the show are all, you know, real kind of folklore mythology that's been passed down. And, well, and really- I, yeah, I, like I said, I wasn't expecting it in this. I didn't know this was the kind of archaeological journey we were going, the dig we were going on, but I was enjoying it. Yeah, think of um, Time Team if, there was, <laughs> if, if it involved possession as well. Yeah, and, and sinister but funny voiceovers and, yeah, you kind know, of I love personality the, schisms. There are some great chases in this series. Yeah. The... The personality swaps are, are, are can are carried out with both aplomb and, and humor in some cases, but but seriously look really damaging to a person when they undergo them. But eventually, you start to get a sense of how horrible that would be to struggle with. But it's also an aspect of the superpower of the character that works quite well. So yeah. in a way, yeah. it's it's also um, an empowerment of of that condition. You know what's interesting? It's like an origin story and an, uh, like a kind of established superhero story at the same time because you've got, in the one hand, he's got it down, knows how to do this and that, and on the other it's someone dealing with emerging powers. So it's kind of both at once. Mm, it's very clever. Very interesting. Uh, one mm. of the things I, I also enjoyed mightily was the action sequences were so expertly choreographed in the first couple of episodes that you never actually saw them. Yeah, <laughs> you saw the yeah, and it was and it worked. Yeah, it was so it was so effective. And then they, you thought, how long can they maintain this for? Because it's really cool, but eventually, and then when they 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 let it rip and we actually saw what was going on, it was like this is very mm. cool. 
Absolutely. Group. They balance the right amount of everything. Mm. Like that um, that fight that they had in, uh, I'm not quite sure what they were doing. I think it was like a kind of a, a tent pegging game with um, lances on horseback and, and things, something like that. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and that was a great sequence. And the car chases, I was saying before, mm. with them bouncing back in personalities and saying, no, I want the body now. and. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Oh, and the actual f- manifestation of the God Conchu when he's not being Mood Knight as this sort of strange, mm. disconnected bird skull shape. It's, it's so cool. It's very cool. Uh, the creative design on Conchu, I think, is perfect. And I think it manages to really have a personality despite the fact it's this disembodied bird head, mummy looking giant thing with a scepter. And like you know, an old man voice coming out of it, but it it works, I think. And they give the tomb raiding archaeology time to breathe misty air. You know, yes. it's like, oh, that's so cool. And I was genuinely scared by the the mummy chase that they have in this film. Really, damn, I was too. creepy. <laughs> it was tense, and that's the thing. They have almost that whole episode dedicated to mm. adventuring in that tomb. And I thought that was a nice choice because you, by that point you've established characters, you've established their relationships, you've got some interesting stuff happening. But I want to see a little bit of adventure, a little bit of high-stakes drama, and so it kicks off. And then, again, gives you another gut punch by the end of that epi mm. as well. I mean, it was a tomb with a bottomless chasm. <laughs> oh, it's always bottomless. It's never like you throw a rock down and it's a couple of metres. It's like, oh, the rock's still falling 20 minutes later. And and in this one too, we we know that there there's a secret chamber in the Great Pyramid, and mm. we're going to see that because this is Moon Knight, and we get to do that, and we get to see some other Egyptian gods too. Uh, yep. And I think that's one of the things about the Marvel thing where they start doing multi pantheons, and yeah. you know we've seen the Eternals who are like kind of like um, the inspiration for. Uh, Greco-Roman gods. We've seen the Asgardians, who basically are the Norse gods. Uh, yep. So many aliens and that who've 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 manifested doing the playing the god gambit on Earth. Uh, yes. I think I think we've got some more Greco-Roman ones coming up in um, the new Thor movie. So, oh, cool. you know, they're all over the place in Marvel. Does yeah. it does actually in the MCU? But there does actually seem to be a conspicuous absence of the Christian god. Which is probably mm-hmm. just as well because it's pretty boring. Let's face it. It's just a- yeah, there's not as many. There's not as much going on. There's not much different facets to it. Just the one guy. Well, maybe there could be like all of the different competing aspects of the Christian God. <laughs> you know, there could be a whole thing there. Or as Captain America said, I don't. I, you know, I don't think God dresses like that. <laughs> he was so square. <laughs> oh yeah. And there is an appearance by an Egyptian. God, that is absolutely stop the show, bring the house down. I won't yeah. spoil it for you, but I just laughed for 10 minutes after that. Well, at that point, you're like, this show is really like unexpected. Mm. By the time they get around to the inevitable, inevitable appearance of an action figure, Mm. <laughs> but I also want I also want the set of the the gods from this one too, like the little yeah you the, want the full complete the set the little the little stone statues. What are you in your po- yeah. you and your Pokemon fixation? 
But how great would that be? Like backlit with a candle, little stone. I mean, let's get the merchandising on it. The merch, yes. Take my money. <laughs> and some of the lines in this, I mean, Layla gets some great lines. She says, oh, my God, I'm going to die in an evil magician's man cave. <laughs> She's a good character, I think. I think he says that, doesn't he? Uh, no, no, that's her. It's Layla because, ah. you know, she's just a, the sort of character who gets to do that kind of thing. <laughs> she's she's really good. She's like she's not your stereotypical tough chick, even though she is, but she's also you know, there's some layers there. Yeah. Very in- engaging watch too. Yeah. All right, let's have some more music now. Um, yes. I think we'll have a track here called El Meluk featuring uh, Threnba. And double zooch. And this is by Ahmed Saad. And this has been chosen by the director. Uh, he's gone through modern Egyptian pop culture music and put them into the show, often in the credit sequence. So I'm getting the same feeling as we had from um, some of the Netflix shows like Luke Cage and, and Daredevil and so on, uh, bringing in the culture. And actually, a lot of the Marvel shows across all the different you know, ABC, Netflix, and uh, now the Disney Plus ones, a lot of them do this kind of thing. And the great thing about this is these songs, once they go on Moon Night and everybody watches them, they go viral. So it's a great way of, of boosting up some some pretty damn good Egyptian songs. So El Maluk here. Triple R. All right. Now that was – I feel like I'm bopping along to after that track. <laughs> so that one was El Maluk featuring Frenba and Double Zooks Ahmed Saad. And this was from an album that was basically called El Maluk. <laughs> so, yeah, just one of the many Egyptian pop cultural tracks included in the Moon Knight soundtrack. I'm sure, I know for a fact there'll be some albums dropping about that very soon. If not, it already might have come out. Okay, we're just wrapping up our little bit of coverage of Moon Knight. Look, there'd be so much to talk about this show. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much more about it because we've probably gone a bit too far and you might not have caught up with it yet. Yeah, I think I I certainly binged the first sort of half in one and so I think it would be understandable if you two have been waiting to binge it all once it's out. So we don't want to say too much and I hope we haven't given too much away, but I think a lot of it's in the trailers and the marketing for the show so Mm. we'll we'll stop there in terms of stuff we give away to sum it up great emphasis upon egyptology um sensitive cultural portrayals of people from egypt and an inclusive cast these are all important to me when i'm watching shows now totally and great great acting from oscar in fact yes oscar winning performance i believe He's he's amazing, and I certainly think I, I like – and, I mean, I don't know too much about dissociative identity disorder or know much about people's lived experience, but I feel like while it is a core part of this character, they're trying to do it in a way that is still sensitive to the fact that people do live with this disorder, so let's not make it too sensational or, you know, the way Hollywood sometimes does these things, I think they've tried to be quite respectful, and I think that's something the creators said was important to them. And the Marvel Comics actually did uh, mess around with that a lot as they evolved the character over the years, Mm -hmm. you know, because the comic books, you do have to present the material quite quickly, and 
you know, sometimes they were a bit wandering around the point, and but you know, they, yeah. eventually they got to where they needed to be, and yeah, this where the series actually benefits from having all of that gone before. Yeah, yeah. So they can come into um, a more formed state for the the character, or informed state, as it were. And I do think there's a clear vision for what they want to be doing with this Moon Knight t- on TV, and I think that that's good that it's not it's not kind of blurry and unfocused. Um, Mm. Apart from when they're dancing with the uh-huh. devil in the pale moonlight in this show. All right, so I think we will wrap it up now. And, you know, I really thought that the track we should go out with would be Moon Age Daydream. David, Perfect. <laughs> David Bowie, especially since I actually got this particular version off the Guardians of the Galaxy awesome mix. Ah, classic. <laughs> All right, so it's on Disney+. Plus. And it's just another damn good Marvel series. Yeah. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Really great portrayal. Um, Just a lot of fun. Don't look for it to be cleaving too close to the actual MCU continuity. There are some some mentions. It does take place uh, post-snap, as it were, and they do have Mm -hmm. other mentions throughout. But, you know, other than that, it can actually stand alone. So you could watch this without having watched any Marvel content before. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's about it for Zero G for today. And we'd like to thank our podcaster, Kayla, who, Kayla Larson, who makes us look good like we weren't actually staggering around with our brains and our other organs in canopic jars. <laughs> <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> yes. And Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. We'll leave you with Mr. Bowie. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.